Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. So hey everybody, welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here and we have kind of an interesting episode for you today. So um, it's myself and Chris here from the Jet Centric Podcast, as you all know, and we're actually joined by an Oilers podcast today, sort of two little branches of it. I'll give them a chance to introduce themselves in a second, but not right <laughs> not right away. I'm just going to sort of tell you about what we're going to do. So um, you probably have heard our episode with Murat that we had earlier, sort of talking about the specifics of the Jets and sort of how the season wrapped up, what's the situation right now, whatnot. We want wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about the specifics of the upcoming series against the Oilers from a perspective that's not just Jets fans who are like, ugh, once we can shut down McDavid and if Mike Smith stops being good, then we'll be able to beat them, you know, just kind of get a little bit more specific than that and all that fun stuff. So um, we are joined by Michael and Eric and Michael, maybe I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself first and then um, Eric, you can as well. And then we'll kind of get going. Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Liz. Thanks, Chris, uh, for having us. Uh, my name is Michael Bear. I am the uh, the host of the Oilers Live podcast, the Heavy Hockey podcast, and of course, the live uh, weekly stream Oilers Empire on EliteSportsBetting.com. I'm uh, just happy to be here and uh, pretty excited about another series between Winnipeg and Edmonton that uh, hasn't happened in what seems like forever. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk to you guys and, and it's good. We're social distancing because who knows how mean it could get. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> off to you, Eric. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eric Friesen. I'm the host of the 99 forever podcast on the Oilers live channel with Michael. And, uh, about three years ago, I started being a fairly regular guest. I'd say, wouldn't you, Michael on, um, his various podcasts, and then he invited me in 2019 to begin hosting my own podcast on his channel. And since then, I've uh, been hosting the 99 Forever podcast and joining still on his podcast from time to time whenever he's needed me to fill in. So yeah, that's how we're pretty much connected. Nice. So nice, um, quick, fun little uh, icebreaker then. You're, you host the 99 Forever podcast. Do you think McDavid is going to be better than Wayne Gretzky? Do you think he already <laughs> is better than Wayne Gretzky? What are your thoughts on that? I'd just like to know just for fun. For sure. Well, here's the thing. I actually debated this on a recent episode. Not, not so much debated, but we talked about where McDavid stands in terms of the Oilers' all-time greats. And I think natural talent and greatness can be different things in a sense. So greatness usually has something to do with championships, one playoff success, that sort of thing. In terms of natural talent, you could argue that McDavid is already one or two all time in Oilers history. In terms of greatness, to knock Gretzky off the mantle would be almost impossible as the captain of four Stanley Cup teams and, and the incredible point totals. I think that depending on how the rest of his career goes, if he stays in Edmonton, there's a chance he could contend with Mark Messier for number two in terms of Oilers lore. But uh, as of right now, I have him sort of pushing top five. Um, it's, it's so hard to say that he would be uh, greater than those guys. But yeah, at, at this point, um, he's definitely in that conversation of top five players in Oilers history. However, he, I do think he will pass Wayne Gretzky as the Oilers all-time leading scorer. Not, in, not his NHL stats, but specifically his stats in Edmonton. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, and I, I actually really like that kind of the way you're separating the two of them because it can be so hard. There are a lot of amazing, talented hockey players that finish their careers with no Stanley Cups to show for it. And it's sort of hard to put them in contention with a lot of those guys who are able to drag their teams to cups and whatnot. So that's an interesting. I never really thought of it that way. I mostly just think of it from the talent perspective. Um, right. But yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, Chris, I don't know if you want to kind of start us off with maybe some fun little conversation to sort of get going <laughs> on the series and what we're seeing in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, we've we've had quite a lot of shows. We've been doing intermission shows and stuff like that. Uh, so we've been communicating quite a lot as a podcast the last two, three, four weeks. Um, and a lot of people aren't giving the Jets a chance, really. Um, I know I personally predicted the Jets in six just because uh, well, we'll get to that. And I know a couple of our friends on Twitter have as well. But more often you're hearing, oh, they don't really have a chance. Here's the thing. Um, we've been talking about McDavid, Dryside, all the top line, this and that. And in all of our conversations, even when we're talking about the fact that we don't think the Jets have a chance, all of us who are can be really tough on the Jets all seem to think that we have much, much, much more talent 
outside of the top line. Um, how do you guys see that kind of breaking down or are we right <laughs> that, you know, we're, we're deeper um, and not that I want to be right, um, but, but it just right. seems, it, no, it just, it, it seems like it's a mismatch. Like the top line is a definite mismatch. If we run against Shifley's line, um, McDavid could put up 25 points in five or six games if they play that line. But when you look at the rest of these two rosters, I would take the jets any day. So how do you see that breaking down as you go through a seven, seven game series? Michael, you want to go first? Yeah. You know, I look, uh, if you had uh, asked me, given the lineup that the Oilers put together at the beginning of the season, you know, if you were right, and I would have said 100% for sure. There have been some players that have stepped up uh, for Edmonton, uh, specifically uh, Darnell Nurse, who has been absolutely outstanding. And outside of Edmonton, I'm not sure that people are talking about him as much as they should be. He has been uh, not just an offensive uh, machine on uh, five versus five, but um, he's also been a defensive stalwart this year. He's been out. He's just, he's just everywhere and, and seems to be playing really well and picking up the slack for Edmonton missing on out on cleft bomb. Now <clears throat> you're, you're 100% right. If you go forward depth, uh, Winnipeg's got the advantage outside of uh, dry Seidel and McDavid so far, we haven't seen, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, bottom six scoring, even bottom nine scoring in Edmonton. Right. Um, now it, in my mind, anyway, it depends on what Tippett plans to do with those two lines, right. Does he separate McDavid? Does he separate uh, McDavid and dry Seidel and, and how that, how that comes about. It seems to me that the Oilers um, have had some luck bringing in uh, one of their prospects in McLeod, who looks like he's set to kind of break out and, and do really well. And he kind of evens that out a little bit, but I'd still give the advantage to the Jets in terms of overall forward depth. But I, I think that, frankly, uh, you know, what needs to happen for Winnipeg is that Shifley line has to stop leaking goals. Like they're, you know, defensively, they've been absolutely horrendous lately. Right. And if that carries on, it's going to be a short series. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Hellebuck though, as well. I mean, you guys, like, you know, he's, he, he's, um, what can you say? The guy's an all-star, all-star goalie. Right. And so, you know, that's the kind of goalie that could steal a series. And, and that's probably my biggest worry about going into the series against, uh, against the Jets. And, and then my other worry is, you know, the refing changes uh, come playoff time. And I don't think the Oilers are going to get near as many penalty chances. And they didn't get a lot to begin with. Uh, most Oilers fans would complain to you that uh, they only count, uh, you know, maybe 10% of what actually happens against McDavid. And then in the, in the uh, playoffs, it's going to be about five, 5%. And so you'll see those power play chances go down. Winnipeg's got a great shot. I still take Edmonton to win this because I think that McDavid and Dreisaitl are um, at that point in their career where they're just going to take it to another level. And they have during the regular season. And that's the way I see it. I don't, look, I don't think you're wrong though. I think, probably all the reasons what you said i think the jets have a legitimate shot yeah. maybe I'm, maybe the fan in me says edmonton but <laughs> yeah and the I season know. series says edmonton too right yeah well, there's that yeah. i think yeah. um my i said this we did a bit of a live stream last night and i kind of want to reiterate my point because a lot of people actually haven't agreed with me and i didn't really know this is how i felt until i said it so my prediction right now is Oilers in five just because my biggest issue is that the Jets don't know how to contain McDavid and they don't know how to you know let their scoring lines score and let their defending lines defend like we have people always talk about the defensive powerhouse that is the Adam Lowry line and then they're playing defense against Zach Cassian or Alex Chason or something like that where where you have like you had said yourself someone who's not even a Jets fan can tell that our top line is just atrocious in the D zone right so 
my thought is that the game ends in five. If we can find a way to contain McDavid, if we can find a way to even win one or two games, I think that that's going to be like the key and win the series kind of thing. But I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen because they had seven, what, eight games to figure it out this season and they could not do it. At the beginning, we were like, wow, Neil Pionk is the noted Connor McDavid killer because he did a pretty good job of sort of pushing him out, not letting him get a ton of great chances off the rush. But it just, there was just way too much. Like, and again, he's Connor McDavid. Like what, what else are you going to do? Like he, he is very talented and he's the best player in the NHL by a landslide, but he doesn't like, he has a ton of points against the Jets this year. I'm sure there's a stat that says he has most of his points against us this year. Cause it's probably oh, yeah. the case. Um, yeah. Other teams have found team. ways to manage him. And I think the Jets probably could, uh, but they just haven't seemed to figure it out yet. I don't know if Eric, you want to touch on that at all? Well, I just wanted to say, I think Ottawa is the only team he, produced better against he had a multi-point game in every game against the Jets this season awesome I love hearing that (laughs) (laughs) I had something in my brain and I just froze um I think that I was going to touch on another point there before um before we pass it over was the Connor Hellebuck thing I was talking to somebody yesterday and a lot of times when we talk about a goalie stealing a series we have this three shutouts and a one goal against sort of thing that's what we think of um i think a goalie can steal a series with two big games right you win a game four three or five four you win a game higher scoring but then you get lucky or maybe not lucky if you're connor hellebuck and you you steal one that edmonton has 43 shots and you win two one right and so when you've got the best goalie on the planet those things can happen too for sure um that's obviously I, I'm the same as you, Liz. I, I'm jokingly picking the Jets in six, but I really have Edmonton in five, if that makes sense, because the Jets can win. But it's one won't. or the other to me. They're <laughs> either going to get their asses kicked or they're going to do what you guys are saying, kind of shut them down for two games, get a goalie win, and and win it, because they are capable of that. Right, yeah. So when, um, as Oilers fans, kind of when you look at how your season shook out, independent of the Jets, sort of what is your big – hope mm-hmm. in in the playoffs like what is what is what are you looking for from your roster maybe I'll throw this one to Eric next and sort of what is like gonna be the I don't want to say the key going forward kind of thing but one of the most important things like is it gonna be Mike Smith being good is it gonna be your bottom six adding to the score sheet like what's gonna kind of be um the biggest positive for you guys for sure and if I can just even touch on the the point that we, that we made before when Michael was um answering I do agree that the Jets do have a deeper forward group and when you get into a playoff series where a lot of the times the first and second lines can be shut down it's that third and fourth line that can win you a playoff series so if Winnipeg does win this series I would expect that that is a large reason why they were able to come out on top is because their third line outperformed the Oilers third line it's it is going to largely come down to if McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to be able to continue their level of success that they had in the regular season. But if the Jets can find a way to at least limit them offensively, then Connor Hellebuck playing out of his mind could also be a huge thing. We, we know that a hot goalie is, is the biggest thing when you get to the playoffs. And if, if you can win the special teams battle and you have the better goaltending, you'll probably win the series. So in that sense, I actually do think Winnipeg has a really good chance. And one of my best friends is a Winnipeg Jets fan. So I feel like I do a Winnipeg Jets podcast once a week that I don't even hit record on. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I hear a lot about your team. And just from watching them all year, I think these teams are fairly equal. It's not gonna be a huge upset regardless of who wins. Whether if the Jets win in five, or if the Oilers won in five, I wouldn't say that it's it's a massive upset. I, I think they're equal, but they're equal teams for different reasons. Mm-hmm. The, Oil, the Oilers' high end is superior to the Jets' high end, but the Jets' overall team construction is better than the makeup of the Oilers' lineup. So that's kind of how I view that. And sorry, Liz, can you repeat the, the other question you had for me? Uh, oh yeah it was kind of just like a lot of us like I know sort of I'll quickly jump on what Chris and I probably our thoughts are basically if our lines can be matched properly against the Oilers we have Mm -hmm. a much better fighting chance like that's going to kind of be our big thing going forward is the proper matchups whatever like what is your as an Oilers fan 
looking at the Oilers success, what you want them to do, what do you think is like the big thing that needs to happen for them to um, sustain positive results against um, the Jets or just in general in the playoffs? Well, you know, I go back to the 2017 playoff run when, when uh, Todd McClellan at the time separated Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and put them on separate lines. That began to be more uh, more difficult for the Anaheim Ducks to contend with. They did end up winning the series still, but putting them on different lines, having two MVP caliber scoring champions coming over the boards wave after wave, that is what sort of got the Oilers back into that series. And I wonder if for the Jets, when they have the McDavid line out there, he can produce with anyone. You could put Josh Archibald on his wing and, um, you know, pick and choose whatever left winger you're going to have next to him. He'll find a way to, to contribute offense no matter what. That Leon Dreisaitl line, if he gets clicking with Nuge and Yamamoto again, that is where I think the Oilers could end up coming out on top is because it's just the Jets will use their best defenders to probably handle the McDavid line regardless of who's playing with and then you have to hope that that creates a better matchup for Leon Dreisaitl when he hops over the boards you'd think so Eric you'd think that we'd put our best defenders out against McDavid you'd think that wouldn't you I would, but we I don't. would. Yeah. <laughs> um, no but I actually uh you said oh man where was I going to go with this I I you separating said McDavid and Dreisaitl yes okay so that was something um like you you said the whole thing about you could put um, McDavid with Josh Archibald. That's like, people always make jokes like um, Sidney Crosby made Chris Kunitz an Olympian. Like they're right. good players can do good things with terrible players. Well, not terrible. That's not fair. But is this like a, a okay. constant discourse among <laughs> fans? Like, do they want Dreisaitl and McDavid to play together? Do they want um, the lines or is it pretty evenly split amongst the fan base? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, Tippett loves to put, those two together especially against some of the weaker teams in the division like he can he throw them together for a three-game series against Ottawa and they beat up on them where they they get like 15 points in three games or something or they did it against the Canucks I don't love the idea of putting these two together against the Winnipeg Jets I I've got to give this team more credit than that I worry that if they are able to shut down the McDavid dry side line the rest of the roster won't be able to produce enough offense to win this series. And they might be able to win a game or two, but to win four against a Vesna Trophy winning goaltender and the elite players you have up front, I think, you know, just because the Oilers have the two leading scorers in the league, we can't forget that the Winnipeg Jets have some incredible offensive players too. I believe at one point this season, they had three of the top 20 scorers in the league. I don't know if it finished that way. I'd have to check, but it's not like the, the Jets are starving for offensive talent either. So that's, that's where I'll, I'll give the Jets the, the tip of the cap there. So um, I would say they need to be separated in this series because it just makes it, it while it does make it harder for the, the time that they're out there, you're only going to see McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice for 20 minutes of that game. What's going to happen in the other 40 minutes? That's why I think they need to be on separate lines. The only... Um... <clears throat> opposition I would have to that is I agree with something you said earlier which was I thought a great point I've always said in the playoffs your top two lines basically offset right so the best team the team that wins the cup has the the most depth generally and I don't know if that's right it just feels that way that whether they offset by not scoring or they score a similar amount of points they offset and then you get Mm -hmm. your 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 fourth line guy that that gets seven goals in in five games whatever this would might be an exception to that where we've seen Connor and Dreisaitl absolutely um, destroy uh, Shifley and Wheeler, right? Where they could they could run them together and score enough points essentially themselves to not even worry about the other th- three lines. And that would be maybe the only exception I would see in this case. Tippett, I think, is the sort of coach that kind of leaves you guessing sometimes, and you never know what might happen, like you guys said. Um, but I would say if at the first sign that, that Maurice is playing Shifley against that line, I would put them together. That's, that would be me and just go, then just kick their ass. Like just, that's just go for point. it. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, a valid point. I think though, you know, in, in you're saying like, you know, a balanced team typically will go all the way. And I, and you know, it's been a while since obviously the Oilers have been 
out that far uh, in the playoffs, but you always need a guy or a couple of guys that, you know, are down in the lineup that are overperforming in the playoffs to kind of get you there. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about. It feels like a more balanced team, but uh, typically those guys that you uh, haven't expected to do well, just come up and do that little extra yeah. Fernando Pisani. Yeah, Pisani is the first guy that comes to <laughs> mind. But even recently in 2017 was Cassian, right? Mm-hmm. He was, um, you know, he was a wrecking ball uh, for the Oilers. And, um, you know, if you don't get that, those types of players, it doesn't matter who you have on your team. It's just too long of a playoffs to not, you know, be successful. Of course, this is the first round still. So, you know, lots can happen. And, um, What's the, uh, I, I, I've got a question, but first, um, quick question. Uh, maybe I'll ask both of them. What's the status on Ehlers? I understand yeah. it's possible for game one. And then the, uh, if you know, and then the second question is maybe along the lines of what's your biggest fear for the jets? Like what could happen that you think would absolutely demolish this team's chances of winning at least the first round? Um, so Ehlers, um, I honestly, I'm not totally sure. Most people are saying that he's probably not going to play in game one, but um, I don't know about him personally, but this team doesn't seem to really care that much when guys are hurt. They'll let, like, if, if there's a chance that we, like, if he's going to be the one thing that beats us or that puts us over the Oilers, they're going to play him even if he's not ready. Like, I think that's how it's going to work. Um, I think he'll probably be in in game two or three. I'm not totally sure, but I think he would be a big game changer. He's been our best skater this season without a question. And my big thing is that if Connor Hellebuck plays human-like goaltending, we're screwed. And yeah. that's not fair of me to say because we've had a lot of players who have stepped up a little bit this year, but also our guys with letters in the fronts of their jerseys need to be better as well. And I think if they play like they did at the beginning of the season, all three of them were atrocious at the beginning. If they play like that, and if Connor Hellebuck plays like a normal goalie, the, we don't have a hope in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's, those are my thoughts. Chris, I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, I see, again, I, I <laughs> we're not going to get into a co-hosting podcast where we shit on Paul Maurice, but it, it's something that we do quite frequently on our on our show because – you have the tools there for me. I think the Jets have the tools to to combat a team like this. Personally, what I'd like to see is them immediately, if, if Ehlers is healthy, I'd immediately like to see them go with the four centers that they have rather yeah. than jamming them onto the, the three lines or even two lines like they have been. Um, again, you're going to give up what you're going to give up against McDavid. And so if you can play him against Lowry's line, okay, that might be great. Uh, some people are suggesting a shadow with um, Dubois just shadowing him that might work too that's those things are only going to work if you're going four lines deep if nate thompson is your fourth line center you're not beating the edmonton oilers you shouldn't be beating the edmonton oilers as far as i'm concerned um those guys those fourth line as it turns out kind of made us look bad this year trevor lewis had a good season um thompson was serviceable um my issue always is is there somebody better um and there is there's better players than those guys um, but you're not winning a playoff series or going deep in the playoffs if that's your lineup. But if Adam Lowry is your fourth line center and he's playing against Connor McDavid, and that means that uh, Paul Stastny and uh, Matthew Perot are playing against your third line, well, I'll take that any day. Um, you know what I mean? They, they, they should be able to outscore McDavid if that's the lineup. Our worry always on this end is what's it going to look like? And, and it never looks the way you think it should. And um, so that's where the scary part comes in. In if if they come out with the the, the top six heavy and uh, all that kind of stuff, it's going to be really disappointing and probably not give the results that that we want. And like you said, our team is very um, it, we're very prone to the matching one with one, two with two, three with three, four with four kind of thing. Like it's a very um, which again, I'm not an NHL coach or anything, but I would like to see um, our defensive line play against the team that needs to be shut down the most. And like you said, we are going to give up, but we're going to give up against McDavid. Mm-hmm. And against Paris, I don't, but if you're able to, um, sort of isolate some guys that are, that have that natural scoring touch, Nate Thompson, like you said, has been serviceable, but he is not a finisher. He is not a goal scorer and you can't not have goal scorers in your bottom six when you can't count on your top six to be scoring goals in this series. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I want to know if you guys have sort of similar woes that we do when it comes to 
guys in your lineup like do you have some guys in your lineup right now that just you know they're stubborn they won't come out the coach won't take them out and you have some prospects you'd like to see come in and play like sort of what's do you like the 12 forwards and the six defensemen that you have right now or do you have some guys sort of um coming up um in the middle there that you'd like to see play in the playoffs or sort of what are your thoughts on your current roster versus your ideal roster i bet you eric and i disagree on these things so let's um (laughs) i'll let you go first (laughs) oh yeah well you get three you get to do the rebuttal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, so first off, I think, you know, similarly, and, and it's understandable that um, if your goaltender is playing in a, at a human caliber going into the playoffs, you're going to lose, <laughs> you're going to lose a serious goaltenders have to be outstanding come playoff times. And, and, you know, we were talking about the biggest challenge that you see for your team. I, you know, I think as we saw today, Koskinen got lit up against Vancouver in the third period. It was, um, you know, three goals, all, you know, top glove. Uh, it, um, you know, it's become, become a theme for him. And I, and I think it's in his head. And, and so if, you know, Smith happens to go down and uh, that's a big concern when you've got a, uh, is he 39 now, Eric? 39-year-old uh, yes, goaltender? Yes, he just turned 39 in March. Yeah, so when you have a 39-year-old goaltender, uh, the concern is, you know, how can he keep up uh, with the level of play that needs to be done? So, and and I believe we've got on the uh, one back-to-back uh, yeah, yeah, Monday, couple nights. Tuesday. So, so Monday. that that will affect the series uh, somewhat. Now, in terms of uh, personnel and who I'd like to see stay and and who I'd like to see go, I you know, uh, I think and this is maybe maybe Eric and I agree on the personnel, uh, but we have uh, tussled once or twice about you know how we feel about Tippett. I'm not a huge fan of of the way he's you know he's uh, put the lines together. You're probably a lot similar to the way you feel Maurice has put the lines together. And uh, I think that he, um, you you know, he, and and maybe we'll see, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt going into the playoffs. Uh, But if he keeps that dry sidle and McDavid line together, uh, together throughout the playoffs, I think this team's not going to go too far. They need to have at least two, two lines that uh, do well. And, um, you know, I think, I think going into the playoffs, there's not much more you can do. The line is the lineup's going to be the lineup because that's who Tippett played all year. And so while we would, I, I personally would have loved to see, we've got Bouchard sitting in the wings as a prospect and on the taxi squad. Really? I would have loved to see him. He played tonight oh, or today. Um, but you just can't, he's not played enough to play playoff playoff hockey right and certainly yeah. he could come in and fill in uh if he had to but um i wouldn't want to see him play too much i uh i'm really curious as to what um you know happens in terms of uh chris russell when he's ready to play um he still exists he, oh yeah he does yeah hopefully yeah, he's, he's not uh, ready to play <laughs> yeah he's not he's he's out right now on injury um and then zach cassian i mean i'm i'm kind of curious the, um, you know, Tippett does rely a lot on his veterans, uh, especially come playoff time. And uh, sometimes it's to his, in my mind, it's to his detriment. Uh, we'll see. Uh, that's my concern is just that he gets stuck in, a, in an idea and he doesn't want to. I always felt like, you know, if in the, you know, post-game presser, if somebody asked him a question, about why he didn't do something. He digs both feet in and, and does it again <laughs> because somebody questioned his ability to, to do that and, and right or wrong. That's kind of always how I felt about him. Um, I, I think Eric probably agrees with the fact that the lineup's not going to change much from our regular no. season, but um, I think we disagree a bit on, on, Tippett's, uh, yeah. on Tippett's philosophy. And, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Tippett's another Saskatchewan guy either. I'm not saying that. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I, I look at, I, here's how I try to look at it. Since Ken Holland and Dave Tippett took over in 2019, the Oilers have been far better than they were in terms of a management perspective and coaching perspective over the past decade. He's got a, a superior win ratio to loss ratio when, when you look at his time behind the bench as coach so when a guy is 
getting these results, even if those results are largely driven by what Connor McDavid is able to do on the ice. I tend to trust that guy. I mean, I mean, he's a Jack Adams award winner. So, you know, it's not like he's a bad coach by any means. Is there going to be times where we're going to be like shaking our heads? Why aren't you playing uh, Evan Bouchard or why aren't you getting these guys in the lineup? Yeah, of course there is. And the pairings, you know, you might want to change something, but at the end of the day, they finished with, I believe today, their seventh best regular season points percentage in franchise history. And if the decisions Tippett made led to that, I'm going to have faith that he gets them the rest of the way. And if that means relying more on veterans than bringing in young guys, then so be it. But it, it, there will come a time where they do have to, you know, start playing these young guys in more meaningful roles. Yeah, if yeah I, that's a good answer. Is, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. I was going to say, if I'm not mistaken, that's a Dave Tippett trademark. Um, I was a Coyotes fan while the Jets were gone, and I could never figure oh, okay. out how how Dallas was so good in the in the aughts when they really only had like four or five good players. And then same thing kind of goes when he coached the Coyotes, where he kind of, like you said, he really relied on a handful of guys and, and kind of worked them a lot. Um, I guess the difference is, is who these guys are. <laughs> Is, uh, they're a little better than Shane Doan and uh, and uh, Radic Dvorak. So, uh, I mean, good good people to be, you know, trusting. So, but I, I think that's a, a from my knowledge of Dave Tippett, that seems pretty standard as to how he's always always behaved. So, yeah. what you're saying is I'm right and Eric's wrong. I, I you know, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I, I just, that's how he's always done it, whether it's right or wrong. I mean, no, no, it's just, no, I'm, it's all good. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to say, Michael, that you're right and, and Eric's wrong just because Eric's that's his coach and I don't know what that's like. So, I'm, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, I have sort of, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a closing or not because it might, um, spur some conversation, but I want everyone to come up with their own. I'll start so that everyone has a minute to think about it but I want you to pick one player from each team that you think is going to make or break this series for each team um and you don't say Connor Hellebuck or Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl because you know Connor Hellebuck is going to be Connor Hellebuck you know Connor McDavid is going to be Connor McDavid like that's just um so I think my wild card for the Jets is Pierre-Luc Dubois um we saw him uh, last year against Toronto. Uh, you know what, Chris? <laughs> Yesterday, I said it was Mark Shifley, so I've changed. Um, <laughs> I keep, um, it's honestly both of them, and for the same reasons. I just think that when they're on, those guys are absolute powerhouses, and they could, um, we just, I, I don't think we've seen the most out of either of them this season. Um, and I think, like I was just about to say, like when that Toronto series, like Pierre-Luc Dubois single-handedly won that series <laughs> for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like he was extremely important to that team. And I think that player is still in him. I think he's just had a bit of a weird year and we all know that I've talked about it quite a bit. I don't think that we've seen the most out of him yet. And I think he's built for playoff type hockey, just that more physical game that still has the scoring touch and the proper, he just, I just think he does a lot of things right. So I think he might be a massive wild card in this series. And then um, for the Oilers, I'm going to say my big wild card is um, I'm going to have two again, actually Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Mike Smith. I think if Mike Smith, um, returns to the form that I, as a Jets fan, was expecting this year. I thought he was just going to be, you know, a 39-year-old goaltender in the NHL, not like a legitimate, people are saying, hey, Mike Smith should win the Vezina, and I'm not laughing. I'm saying, I don't think so, but I'm not laughing in the face. You know, he's had a good year, and I think that, I don't know if that's sustainable or not. He seemed to be pretty good all year, so maybe it is, um, but I think if he is not great during this series, then that could be a huge game changer for the Jets, and I think um, on the contrary, if Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a massive, if they do end up playing um, Dry Settle and McDavid on the top line and Nugent Hopkins has to anchor that second line, if he is on fire, then that's going to be really difficult to manage for the Jets. So those are my kind of wild cards. I don't know if I want to throw it to Eric next and you can sort of come up with yours. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it's so hard to predict like who's going to have a uh... I mean, we often say Fernando Pisani because that was such a, a big one in, in our market. I mean, I guess Zach Cassian to an extent did that in 2017 as well, where he played a, a physical role in, in scoring some big goals in, in that series against the Sharks as well. And if he comes back, I wonder if honestly he could be another guy who could help swing the series. Uh, you know, this this might be a, a hard one to call, but I wonder if James Neal, 
could get back to it. Like in the bubble last year, when he had those four months off to let his foot heal, he was skating better than I remember him seeing at any point during the regular season. And as of late, I think he hasn't looked terrible. And he's, you know, he scored a goal recently in Montreal. And I just wonder if someone like that with over a hundred games of playoff experience, by far the most experienced of anyone on the Oilers. And even though he is 33, so he's not, you know, that old yet, uh, he's definitely past his prime, but I, I just wonder if he might be able to recapture some magic in a, in a series or two and, and kind of be a, a player who could help the Oilers uh, come out on top. Yeah. He, um, I, I think he's got like that very much that what people always talk about why, why we brought in Trevor Lewis, like he, he knows how to win. And I think if mm-hmm. you can get those guys going, they know how to play playoff hockey. They know how to win. Like that could be really massive for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you have a Jets wild card? A Jets wild card. Well, there's some names that stand out to me whenever I see like that, that Adam Lowry, like he, you know, he's noticeable every time uh, the Oilers play the Jets. And this is a guy that I didn't really follow or or think too much ever about even before this season. So uh, after having watched him this much, I I wonder if if that's a guy who could have an impact at both ends of the ice and and be a a reason why the Jets are able to actually win a series. Yeah, that's I think that's a really good answer, too. Yeah. Um, Chris, I don't know if you want to go next. Yeah, um, I think the obvious answer for Jets fans is, is Ehlers um, for a couple of reasons. One is because of his okay. health right now and because of his um, playoff history that some people seem to think he has, um, <laughs> which is just uh, obnoxious. But I'm going to flip it and I'm going to say um, Blake Wheeler. Yeah. Um, I've been crapping on him all year. Um, I love the guy. Great player. Great all-time player. But um, And it's not and this is something we should qualify every time we talk about him. It's not his fault, the situation he's been put in. He was obviously told to play games when he was hurt. He's been playing top line minutes at 30, like 43 years old. I think he is now. Um, And that, so he's being put in these positions. He shouldn't be put in that said this last two weeks, somebody's lit a fire under him. He's looked a lot better. Um, So he's likely healthy. Um, We've seen him go to the net, which we haven't seen in a long time. Um, So I'd like to see Blake Wheeler be the Blake Wheeler that gets paid $8 million a year at 34 years old and um, see if he can't do something. Um, So yeah, Ehlers is the obvious answer, but Wheeler's the guy we need. If if you're going to run that top line and all that kind of stuff, you need your captain to be, you know, you're, we don't need Blake Wheeler to be our best player. Let's be honest, but he needs to give us most of what he can has given us before. Yeah. I'd also say about the Oilers, Mike Smith is probably my favorite player outside of the Winnipeg Jets. So I love Mike Smith. Oh yeah. I'm a Coyotes fan days. Because Coyotes fan, I have his goal stick, autograph goal stick. And I like the (laughs) fact that he wears like flat brim hats and um, kind of stuff like that. He's like kind of hip. Chris, you're going to get the podcast for saying that your favorite player outside of Winnipeg is not Patrick Lane. One of, one of, one of. Didn't he say he's not cheering for the Jets in the playoffs? Yeah. I don't care what he said. I don't care. Uh, I thought that would hurt you guys to the, the soul. You can't him. hurt me. I love him. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if it's that he's a player, but he's a cool dude, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but just hearing that there's a chance Chris Russell might play, that tells me that that's, um, that's a wild card for sure, because I don't know how you guys feel about him, but obviously if there's any analytics involved, everybody knows what a terrible hockey player is. So that could really help the Jets if Chris Russell plays. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I, uh, so I like, I, I'm actually a Russell fan. I, I like Russell. I, I, I'm not sure that I'd be playing him full time, but um, I don't I think mind. The return, of, the, the return of Slater Cuckoo today and picking up Kulikov, who Jets fans will know very well at the deadline. Yeah. I think that, you know, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade that is, but I think that it's enough that Russell probably won't be the first choice to come in and play the left side on D if, if they really needed someone. No, that's you know, a good, that's you know, a benefit tip for you guys. Tip it'll yeah. find a way to get him in the lineup. I can't believe we didn't bring him up. I was so, he was like, we paid him $4.3 million. So we were kind of like, um, and then when he didn't sign with us, no one was upset because he made too much money, but then he went and signed in New Jersey and then he became an analytics darling and just had like the best year ever. So, 
that was who we actually did a massive trade deadline episode. And we were talking about all the different options and how guys like, you know, obviously we needed to upgrade our defense and guys like, um, now I'm forgetting his name, David Savard or way too expensive. And a lot of us wanted to bring back Dmitry Kulikov because of the year that he was having. And then of course he gets traded to the North division. We're like, come on. So um, take care of our, our sweet Prince. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, go ahead, Michael. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Here? Just quickly on that uh, list. I, I think Kulikov has got a lot in him to be well, but he's, he's, um, he's struggled in his first little go round here with the Oilers. He's been giving up the puck a fair bit in, in zone. And, uh, he's, yeah. Stulikov is back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I, I think he's got lots more to give for the Oilers, so I'm not ready to write him off, but I've, there's been a couple of times where I've been pretty upset with him. Uh, okay. My, uh, my thoughts, I'll, um, I'll start with the, uh, Jets and I, I'll go a little bit off the board, maybe, um, you know, for both my picks. Uh, I think for the Jets, I've really liked um, when I've watched them, not just against the Oilers, but against some of the other teams is um, Appleton. Great I mean, answer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this guy's, yeah, he's, uh, he's done really well. Right. I mean, for a guy that just to come into the league and then, uh, you know, he's had w- what around a dozen goals this year so far. And, and um, yeah, I think, well. you know, I think that's the kind of guy that can, um, you know, uh, change a series with the, uh, you know, some excitement and get everybody uh, riled up and, and going, right? And people feel good for that kind of story, right? So, well, and so, people, yeah. I'll quickly jump on him just because I want to mention that um, he's, yeah, like, we see a lot of tip, uh, top six flashes uh, from, <laughs> we think it's definitely there. Like, he wouldn't he win AHL rookie of the year, I think. Uh, like, he he's, He's got so if you have that guy playing on your third line and like we've sort of talked about when Eric mentioned the Adam Lowry thing, if you can get that line scoring, uh, that might be really massive. And he definitely has this the scoring touch there. So, anyways, you can sorry I cut you off, but go yeah, ahead. no, no, I think that's great. I mean, I like I said, I've I've um, you know I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a, I've been a fan, but I like I've been a fan of the way he plays. I, you know, I yeah. like the player. So you know, if he if he does well, he'll do well for the Jets and and playoffs are the best time to see a guy like that do well. Uh, on the Oilers, uh, you know, a guy that I'd like to see uh, turn it up and start to pot some goals and do that and has certainly been given the opportunity uh, would be Cahoon. And uh, so Dominic Cahoon, depending on where he plays, um, you know, and, and a lot will um, a lot will depend, I think, on uh, Kyler Yamamoto and uh and what happens with him he was out um for a couple of games uh today i they haven't disclosed what the injury is and if it's um i'm not sure if he's expected back for playoffs i believe that he is uh but i i think if he is back then we'll see what we call the dynamite line nugent hopkins dry and um and yamamoto on the second line and then we'll see uh cahoon cahoon play up with uh, mcdavid but Cahoon's actually, um, you know, he's, he's not put in the points we expected of him this year, I think, because everybody was excited about him and Dreisaitl maybe clicking from when they played midget hockey together and scored at will. <laughs> it never, it never came to fruition, but he seemed to have found a place on McDavid's line. And, and sometimes a guy like that, just, um, you know, if he, if he's the right guy for a player like McDavid can, you know, turn the tide and, and make that, uh, make McDavid even that much better and, and then watch out. Right. Like I think then the leagues on notice and, and it could be a hell of a playoffs for Edmonton. So I'll take Cahoon. I don't think I'd take Smith except, you know, I'm done thinking he's a surprise. Like I thought he was a surprise the first 10 games. Uh, he's proven himself. And so, yeah. you know, I, I would be more surprised if he didn't play well, let's just put it that way. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a, a closeted Blackhawks fan too. That was my team kind of before the Jets came back. So I, I watched a lot of their games that I watched. Yeah, Dominic Cahoon was with them a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, that's definitely a, there's, there's a lot of potential there, I think. So that's a good choice. I didn't even, didn't even think of him. So quickly, I want to know what, what is going to be your top six going into the playoffs? Like not what you think, what's, what is your team going to run with their top six? Is it going to be like you said, a Cahoon uh, with McDavid and Pugliarvi or what's kind of the, yeah. what are they going to run? Yeah, I think Eric, I, I'll let you answer, but my guess would be, yeah, it would be Cahoon, McDavid, Puyarvi, Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto, assuming Yamamoto's back in, in the lineup. That's 
that's a nice top six. Yeah, it is a good top like, six. I mean, I agree. and I don't even mean that because McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, th- those are six. Those are six really good players. Well, I mean, exactly, Chris. To that point, it's been a long time since the Oilers have been able to say, say that they have six legitimate top six forwards. Uh, there's been some guys who definitely were not top six caliber playing in the top six over the past decade or longer. And, you know, to ha- uh, Dominic Cahoon, as Michael just kind of mentioned a minute ago, yeah, he hasn't provided enough offense to consistently stay on one of the Oilers' top two lines, but he is a player who, uh, who Liz, Liz mentioned, sorry if I can talk, uh, has, um, has the skill to play with skilled players. Like he was on a line with Malkin. He played with skilled players in Chicago. He's showing glimpses of his talent with McDavid now. And I just wonder him and you got a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi on the other side who's had a breakout year that no one saw coming. I thought he might be able to come back and reestablish himself as a, you know, a, a solid third liner. But for him to actually uh, be able to step up this much in the lineup and, and be a contributor the way he has, I, I think that is a legitimate top line, especially when you have, you know, the Art Ross Trophy winner between them. And as for the second line, Yamamoto does have to get going, but we have seen that skill from him in a small sample size. He was a point-a-game player last year in a 27-game sample, like I said. And then this year started off with eight points in his first 12 games before his scoring fell off. Just snake-bitten all year, couldn't buy a goal. Um, if he's able to rekindle something with Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins, I really like this top six. It's, it's certainly better than some of the ones that we've, we've seen over the years. I mean, Patrick Maroon played uh, in top six role with, you know, the Oilers for a year and a half and scored 27 goals on McDavid's wing. So not to take anything away from Maroon, but if he can be close to a 30 goal scorer, imagine what a legitimate sniper could do standing next to Connor McDavid. I mean, if David Pasternak was on his wing, does he score 60 goals? You know, like that, that's just, you know, I'm, far-fetching here but that's no, that's the point but, i'm trying to make like, what about taylor hall how many goals does taylor hall <laughs> score on his wing <laughs> yeah you know what they tried them together i know i know you i know you're giving me a hard time but they they tried them together in 2015-16 and actually hall clicked way better with dry sidle so yeah but you know and i'm not trying to give you a hard time no no it's all good. you know long term long term that's just an absolute i mean that's 50 yeah. goals a year from Taylor Hall. I mean, that's crazy. Sad. Sad. I, you know, I, I, I've defended the Oilers for a long time because um, I hate that. Well, I hated them. Like, obviously, as a kid, yeah. I grew up in the 80s. I saw it all, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I defended the well, new Oilers simply based on the media outlook and sort of even the fan outlook that the problem was the drafting. And other than um, what's his nuts? Um, Yakupov. They drafted the right player every time. It was the it was the cast around them, and it was the the fact yeah. that you couldn't find a defenseman. It was the fact that you couldn't find a bottom six, and everybody's trying right. to blame it on Eberle and Hall and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, it's not those guys. Those guys can only do so much. How about get them not like an ECHL third line and fourth line, and then maybe you've got a team. And I just it's something so, that Chris, I've never I'd gotten go, over. I'd go. You know? I'd go. I'd say that it's not so much drafting. But it's how they develop the prospects. Yeah, yeah. And, Either and way, that was sure. Draft and destroy, yeah. baby. Let's go. <laughs> that, that's that's exactly it, Liz. You, I know. Yeah, you hit it on it. Jump on. I want to. I think it was Eric was talking. It was so funny. You were talking about Dominic Cahoon. Literally, if you would have replaced his name with Andrew Cop, that was ex- that's exactly what we have in Andrew Cop. It's so funny. Like you're talking about how you see like he's you know been fringed top six bottom six whatever he fits the roles there's a ton of top six potential there anyways i just thought it was hilarious we basically have the same player in the way that you're describing him i yeah. I, can't say I i'm like i know a ton about dominic and i've just watched him play um a couple of games For sure. but i just thought that was quite fun was like, oh. and also chris you know i first of all i have no ill will towards the jets we haven't had the chance to build up any hatred for them yeah. now now this is from from me like i missed out on the the dynasty era in Edmonton where you know they had the better of the Jets so I fully get it from that perspective of Jets fans not liking the Oilers like they have every right to not you know be a fan of it I grew up watching the Oilers get dismantled by the <laughs> Dallas Stars in the playoffs every year yeah. so that that was 
I dislike them more than the Calgary Flames growing. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I should have guessed from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle behind you and the Michael Jordan cards that you did grow up in the 80s. So that would have tipped me off right there, too. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, no, it's I, I completely understand that. And it's like uh, maybe we'll get a little more uh, of the rivalry intensified in the next two weeks. I told my, my Jets friend that even that uh, you're, you're probably going to hate my team more than than ever before as we uh, really amp things up here. I, I feel bad because uh, like I, everyone, I was like, I have like probably my, my four Toronto, Edmonton, Vegas, and St. Louis. I cannot stand them from, mm-hmm. oh, I just, I, I, but the, the, the former two and what I said, they, it's more of the media issue that I have with them. And I hate them as a result of my hate for the media. Like it's more yeah. like, I just, I, I wasn't alive in the eighties when all that happened. I don't care about the Jets 1.0. I don't know anything about them, but just when it's like, you know, Nick Euler scored two goals and had a great game, but it's like, we have to start off the highlight reel with a picture or a video of Connor McDavid and warm up, just like a lot of that stuff. And it's made me just like Connor McDavid, which isn't fair. Like I loved it. Like I have Connor McDavid shirts and whatever, like as when he was a prospect playing in the world juniors, I just thought he was terrific and stuff, but it's just, the media has made me dislike Edmonton so much. And there's always, <laughs> Darnell Nurse is a bug. Zach Cassian's a bug. And then it's just when you already have a little bit of distaste for a team, yeah. it just makes you so much. And then also, I, I don't know if you guys, where you guys are on this, but I'm also a bit of a Leon Dreisaitl hater just because I'm mm. so mad that last year, everyone who voted looked at Connor McDavid and said, actually, Leon Dreisaitl is more valuable than you. That will never sit right with me. Not Leon Dreisaitl's fault. <laughs> I mean, last season, you have to remember, Connor was coming back from potentially a career-altering injury. So mm-hmm. the fact that he was even able to play at all after opting to not have surgery and to rehab his knee on his own, that was a, a miracle in his own, that, it, that, that the knee fully healed. But without even having an off-season to properly train, you figured, well, he's probably going to have a bit of dip in scoring this year. He actually still finished second in league scoring behind Leon Dreisaitl. And if he didn't miss seven games with a quad injury in March, he, he might have passed him. That being said, when one guy has 110 points and no one else even has 100, it makes it hard for the writers to not vote for the guy. But I do understand that where other fans are coming from. They're looking at this from, you know, the outsider's perspective and saying, how can anyone on a team with Connor McDavid be voted the MVP? So I, I get where, where you're coming from there. Yeah, I love that's, that. that's the way the part works, though, is that the guy led the league in scoring. Like, that's insane. And he led the re- league in scoring with Connor McDavid on his team. So there's yeah. something he said about that. The fact that he could outscore him is pretty impressive, even if. Well, he took the game. Oilers through their hardest stretch, too, which, right. like, yeah, without so Connor McDavid, he was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's just also just who I don't <laughs> like the Hart Trophy in general, just because I find the criteria. <laughs> so, like, Connor McDavid should win the Hart Trophy every year. So, like, I, I wish they would change the criteria a little bit so that it's more mm-hmm. like kind but of they need two they need two trophies they need a yeah. heart trophy and they need a they need a valuable to your team and an outstanding player exactly. well, they, they they also have, have, but it's the players vote right? yeah like the players the, vote. The yeah, yeah but it's, it hasn't been uh struck into our mentality yet that one is one and one is the other right because again i don't agree that Connor mcdavid should win it every year because if there's a year they finish second last in the league well they would have finished second last in the league with or without him so you have to have a good, good production. There's the year Sean Burke was in the talking for MVP and Aginla won it. Well, the, the fricking flames finished like 24th in the league. They would have finished what? 26th yeah. in the league. We can all hate the Jerome flames Aginla. together, by the way. Exactly. And but that, just goes, <laughs> that just goes back to what Liz was saying about the media thing. I don't blame the media for, you know, hitching their ride to Matthews and McDavid and them being the lead story. That's what every other league does. But it does give a foul taste, right, to, to the other teams. And, oh, yeah. Uh, my bigger problem, sorry, my bigger problem with the Oilers stuff when the Jets were gone was all of my friends that became Canucks and Flames and Oilers fans. How can you yeah. hate it, those teams for 15, 18 years? They beat you <laughs> out of the enough. playoffs. Yeah. They're your arch rivals. And then all of a sudden you're walking around in a Canucks jersey? Nah, that doesn't sit right with me. No, that, no I, I understand that perspective too. And it's just like, you know, Winnipeg – it's a shame that a city that has as rich a hockey tradition as they do going back to the WHA and even before, if you want to really go back a hundred years in history to when they're winning Stanley cups, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, they're the, the glory it's a, days. Yeah. It's a hockey city. 
And for them to not have a team for 15 years, it, it just felt wrong. And now that it's been back for a decade, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a Jets fan. I, maybe it feels like they never left now that they're back. And it's just like, it's just that decade seems to have flown by from an outsider's perspective anyway. So I do have one thing that I have to say, and I should be thankful for the Jets. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a dig, actually. But the Oilers <laughs> have never won a Stanley Cup without playing the Jets in the playoffs. Right. It's true. It's yeah. true. So, You're welcome. And in, in fact, the Jets are the only team that have that. Uh... But you know what? I, I, there was a lot of years where even the Jets were a very good team in the NHL. Like I think one year they finished fourth in the, in the league, if you look at total standings but they were third in their own division. Well, we were just talking about like how, how much different would Howard Chuck be viewed in this league? Right. Yeah. If not for the Oilers, right. Like well, if not for that, the, the guys that were there, I mean, outside of Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean, people still appreciated Howard Chuck, but absolutely. It, like, was he, he could have been, you know, somebody completely different, like mm-hmm. larger than life, if not for, well, and like going back to like the first thing that Eric had said when you were talking about the whole Gretzky versus McDavid thing, like having the hardware to show for it kind of thing. And that's with the Howard Chuck, you know, it's it's going back to that era. It's tough to. Yeah, for sure. Chris, I was a big Howard Chuck fan, by the way. I, yeah. Good for you. As you should have been. right? <laughs> yeah. Being a fan of hockey. Um, though. In Wayne Gretzky's first book, I don't know what it's called, the white one with the red cover, he says if it wasn't for the Oilers, the Jets would have won multiple Stanley Cups. Um, we were the only team, I think, in NHL history still to have six 30-goal scorers on a team yeah. um, in one season. Like, no, I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we were fantastic. And That's again, so we <laughs> it's crazy, right? Um, but yeah, there was a couple of years where we were legit contenders. Um, so yeah, you guys definitely caused a 10-year-old Chris to cry and, and stay up too late and not, you know, it's, uh, well, it'll be interesting now. Just, <laughs> yeah, we can all cry together, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny when I try to kind of get, like, Liz is less than half my age, so it's funny when we talk about past things and like she just said i don't care about 1.0 or i mean i don't really anymore either to be honest like i'm glad that i got to go to you know 15 games a year solani broke the record but other than that i i try not i try to leave it in the past other than my jersey collecting so i mean it's a long time ago and let's hope like you guys said let's hope this rekindles something you know yeah most of the time playoff series do almost always um so let's hope let's hope that that happens if nothing else my I said I, my teams that I hate and I said the for the former two in my thing it was because of the media well the latter two guess what it's because they beat us in the playoffs and I exactly. hate them for it but yeah. I, I love that you said that uh, we can all hate on the flames together because I am <laughs> yeah. never gonna forgive Matthew Kachuk for being yeah I, I was just gonna say my my Jets fan friend and I uh, you know there aren't a ton of things we agree on when it comes to hockey but one thing that we've always been in perfect unison about is that uh, our, our disdain for Matthew Kachuk. And um, I'm glad to see that, uh, that that hatred that the Oilers had built up for Kachuk over the past five years really hit home in Winnipeg last year in the bubble. And uh, I don't think that that will disappear anytime soon. Yeah, Which is, they're, they're is too it? crappy for me to really care that much about them. <laughs> like if they were better, I would probably hate them more, but they suck now. And I'm like, well, that's good for you. But yeah, no, yeah. he's just a freaking bug. I, I can't stand the guy. It's funny yeah. how they're hated in Winnipeg and especially considering people still hate his dad, despite the fact that all reports are Keith Kachuk is like all time, one of the nicest players in NHL history. Uh, he, if you read uh, Jeremy Roenick's book, he spends about half the time talking about Keith Kachuk and what a great person Keith is and um well it doesn't matter right I mean (laughs) it doesn't matter the source if he's if he's telling you what all of these great things that Keith has done and people have a bad taste because back when he was an 18 year old kid in Winnipeg and doing stupid shit in Winnipeg people never liked the person um so it's funny that it's continued despite from everything I've heard um that that Keith is just an awesome dude just an awesome awesome dude the other thing is to there's always going to be that off the ice stuff. I mean, Chris Pronger had a rough start, had a rough start to his career in Hartford where I think he was getting into, I don't know the exact stuff, but it was almost some legal issues where something happened in a bar or whatever. And they had to get him out of there where they traded him to St. Louis. We've heard all the stories about someone running into Taylor Hall at a bar in 2011 and he wasn't nice to them. 
and you know dancing on top of a pool table or whatever the the stories are and it's just do we do we condemn these people for what they did at 18 19 years old and all first of all all hearsay hearsay for, for first of all but or do we let them grow as people and become better individuals off the ice and and also look at what they provide on the ice too i think yeah so there, there's always going to be times like that where people just get beat up on for maybe the yeah. person they were at 18. No one is there. No one is the best version of themselves <laughs> at 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, v- Vander Kane would like to join this podcast right now too. So. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And as a 19 year old, I do say, I agree. Let's not um, oh, wow. base my entire life on. <laughs> this is um, it, Liz. Um, no, but I also wanted to jump on um, quickly, just kind of a fun little thing to end. I think it's hilarious too, that, um, the Edmonton media really does want to push a personality in Connor McDavid. I just don't really think that it's there. Some of my favorite things in the NHL have come from <laughs> guys. Check out this awesome banter about the World Juniors. Leon Dreisaitl versus Connor McDavid. Look at them argue with each other. Um, Leon Dreisaitl says something like kind of funny, and Connor McDavid's like, "Yeah, I just hope both teams have fun." Or like, <laughs> <laughs> the most, you know the most personality you're ever going to see from McDavid is when he cried the night he found out he was going to Edmonton on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> the best yeah. part about being a hockey player is being a hockey player. I will. That's my favorite thing. He had to fill out like a little. Yeah. Actually, if you ever want to watch, uh, GQ magazine did an interview with Wayne yeah. Gretzky and Connor McDavid. I think it was last summer, 2020, and they didn't even have an interviewer for them. They had them interview each other. Oh no. So if you ever want to see Wayne Gretzky ask Connor McDavid questions about hockey and then have Connor mcdavid ask questions to wayne gretzky i'll put it to this he's great at a lot of things but an interviewer might not be a, a secondary he might not have a career in media i'm saying after his playing career well, that's a funny thing that's been pointed out multiple times too i mean, wayne gretzky doing it too because one thing you always hear like you'll hear about certain guys like timo slani's the nicest guy and this and that mm-hmm. and all that you never hear that about wayne gretzky all you ever hear about wayne gretzky is what a great hockey player he was you very yeah i've heard that he's not the best but when you listen (laughs) to people like uh, like even media they'll never say that about him right they'll say like i say oh shane doan nicest guy blah 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 blah. like i said uh roberto luongo whatever whatever they never say that about gretzky they always just say great hockey player best hockey player of all time also it's kind of hard to overshadow his accomplishments though like if i'm talking about Wayne gretzky the first thing i'm going to talk about is the fact that he's the greatest to have ever played so i'll take it with a great assault chris i don't know i'm not sure (laughs) Um, yeah, I think he's pretty nice. I think he is a nice. You know player. what? I, the odd, the odd story that you've ever heard about Wayne, and, and there's been very few. I think that he, going back to when he was very early in his career, has been very conscious of his public image. Sure. And always humble to a fault. So if there was an event where he was at and someone had a, a bad takeaway from it, I I truly believe, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Wayne Gretzky fan, is that that would be in the minority because I oh, think- Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? I think that regardless, like I believe he is genuinely a nice person, but even if he wasn't, I think he's such an ambassador for the sport that he realizes that he can't have like a public meltdown where- it would look bad on him. That's just, well, yeah. I think up. it's like the Tiger Woods kind of Michael Jordan up until 2007, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan type personality where it's more like an indifferent and professional. I don't go too high or too low personality. I just heard some, and again, this is when he's young too and the most famous person in Canada. This well, there's not many Ronix right? out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, well, that's a funny thing. That's how one of the things I have to back up the Kachuk thing. One year I met, um Shane Doan at a at a Flames game and I met his mom and I talked to his mom for about 25 minutes and this is when the Coyotes should have been really good and uh she was one of the people that told me that Ronick was just a huge problem in the locker room and that Keith was that Keith was awesome and blah 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 but they wanted to get rid of Ronick because he was just a problem and nobody liked him and so that was from <laughs> the captain's mom's mouth you know so yeah. it's not you know it's not bs or whatever so ronick definitely was the problem there for sure but that's funny so i've known um and i've known a lot of hockey media uh over time one of the uh things i i actually uh, one of my roommates was a um former writer uh wrote about the flames and um so you know the odd time i'd answer my home phone and it would be jerome mcginla on the phone um <laughs> 
and he and he lived in my community and I'd run into him. You know, he's a good example of the Connor McDavid type of thing where these guys have um, created a product, right? And they, you know, outside of, um, you know, if you saw when McDavid hit 100 points, if you saw the way the, the team lit up, like the big smiles on the bench and, and how happy they were for him, you know, it doesn't speak to a guy that has zero personality, but the guy that we see in the media every day literally has zero personality, right? Yeah, but it, because that's, that's the McDavid product. It, yeah. And, um, but on, a, you know, the reciprocal of that is, um, look at dry Like he, he's, he's a pretty open and free freewheeling guy. The last hockey game I got to watch dry got on the microphone and, uh, you know, at the end of the game and said, uh, the fans here are effing phenomenal, right? Like <laughs> over, over the, uh, over the loud, you know, the PA, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's dry Like he's, you know, he doesn't have the uh, necessarily because he's under the shadow of McDavid. He doesn't have to have that same product uh, that McDavid does. And, and so we, we'll never. And I yeah, think, you never really know them. Yeah, I think to some extent, you know, Gretzky's the same way. Like they're just they are such a big product that they have to watch. Well, he's called a robot, everything. like a hockey yeah. playing robot. That's, you know, that's been kind of something that people have been saying for years. And. I've seen Connor McDavid interviewed after scoring a hat trick. And the, the best way I could describe the look on his face is pissed off. Yeah. Like, so, you know, if, if you have a guy who's that intense, like it's almost like he's got Jonathan Taves intensity and, uh, and he's got like Mario Lemieux's hands and Pavel Bure's speed and Wayne Gretzky's brain. That's like, these are like the components that like I say make up. Connor McDavid. I, I agree with you guys so much. When he got that hundredth point, I was like, where is that dude jumping off the glass, pumping, fist pumping and everything. I was like, that's awesome that he gives that, you know? And uh, yeah, that's great. I just got to say also, I'm a, I'm pretty envious that you get to watch that guy at 82 games a year. Cause mm-hmm. when he first came in the league, I was trying to switch back and forth just to catch his shifts. And it's just, it's next level. Like I said, I got to see Timu when he was here yeah, and he was awesome. uh, yeah, and that, and there's the same sort of speed element, but nothing like what what McDavid does. It's just well, it's I'm incredible. A huge, I'm a huge yeah. Solani fan too. That's yeah, what, I, <laughs> I um, we've talked about this too. It's like, hey, this series is going to go one way or the other. One way for us, the Jets win. The other way, we get to watch Connor McDavid play more <laughs> hockey. So you know what, I can't. Uh, yeah, and um, honestly, thank you guys uh, for coming. You guys are a lot. I think you're a little bit nicer than we are. Chris and I are a little bit kind of like, yeah, <laughs> these are all the reasons why the Jets suck, but they're still so much better than your team. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but this is good. It's always fun to hear um, from other teams' perspectives and stuff like that, especially when we're going to be seeing a lot more of this team. It's been nice. Um, these divisions have been a ton of fun um, and stuff like that, so it's been it's going to be nice to see them continue in the playoffs, I hope you know, there doesn't get too, too dirty and there doesn't get to be a ton of like injuries or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's the playoffs. That's what'll happen. But um, it's been a ton of fun. And I think um, we have some good hockey coming our way over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank I you totally for agree. having us too. Yeah. yeah thanks so sure, much. Yeah. So Chris, Michael, Eric, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, take care. I'm Kurt Gilbag, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.